Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. Today, Pip Coburn and I are back with Dr. Morris Pickens. We're discussing how to incorporate clean time to think, a surprisingly countercultural activity. Most of us get recognition for our doing without valuing or understanding the quality of thinking underneath effective doing. Together, we offer up a variety of different modalities. Hopefully, you find some that match for you. This is meant to be a shorter, quick-hit podcast to get you a quick insight and get you on your way. I hope you enjoy it. Mo, we spoke about developing a skill set to take clean breaks previously. Today, we're back to address an important companion to that skill, which is learning how to create clean time for thinking. Yeah, and Bryn, just to why this matters to me so much is I think systematically we can convert ideas which are plentiful and float all around us into insights which sink deeply into our bones. And from that place of insight, allow for exceptional, exceptional and great conviction. Um, but this just doesn't randomly happen into our brains. We have to kind of tee things up to increase the odds that this happens. So when I think of clean thinking time, to me, it's about setting up an easy on-ramp for preconditions of insight creation, not just you know having a break. It's not having a break, it's setting up for preconditions of insight creation. And I think we can affect those probabilities drastically. Clean time, to me, um, provides support for easy, fluid concentration on ideas to then, uh, as one author I like said, systematically burn through the noise in the world. And then in the same way as a magnifying glass uses sunlight, create a rich play space for high frequency conversion of ideas into insights, which again, we can feel deeply in our bones and then operate from there. Mo, what, what are your thoughts on any of that? Feel free to take it a different way or disagree with any of uh, what, what I assume. No, I think uh, what strikes me when you speak about that is um, from the author talking about the noise of the world, I think in order to have really good time, clean time, as you call it, for thinking, you need to get out of your normal world. And so a lot of times you, you want to change your environment. Maybe it's going for a walk or maybe it's just getting in a different place or using a different modality in terms of uh, journaling or typing out notes, uh, maybe in a different way. But so that's kind of what I think of is, um, you know, making sure that if you want to have a good on-ramp, uh, it has to be intentional. You know, mm. usually great thinking, you can have great thoughts just pop into your head kind of out of the blue, but usually they're because you're um, immersed in some way thinking or, or um, kind of contemplating, you know, maybe another idea that came into your head. Um, and the other thing that uh, it really makes me um, kind of think of is just, um, you know, how like it's neat to watch a documentary. Um, and, and in the documentary, they go back and reconstruct things and you can see where the thinking came from. And even if we watch a documentary of how the iPhone was created or how 9-11 unfortunately uh, occurred, you know, what's most intriguing to me is kind of the thinking part of that and what really led into it. But we only see that in documentaries because we don't value thinking in the present time. Really what society values is all the doing. 
um, versus the thinking. And so, you know, if you're just walking around New York and you saw a group of people walking around thinking, right, and you asked other people what those guys were doing, you know, they'd say, well, they're being lazy or, or you know, those people are complacent or, you know, they're not working. I mean, that would be the general take, not just in New York, but probably anywhere. Um, so that's kind of what it makes me think about is the, the, the creation and the start of it, which is the really interesting part, you know, is only valued after the fact, but it has to be there. And so I don't know why we don't really value it on the front end. So. Well, what do you suggest or what did you do to reorient yourself to valuing something that culturally is not valued, as you just point out? Well, I mean, I think you, once you start to understand how things evolve um, and what really goes into it and um, the fact that there's a lot of people that can uh, do activities, um, but there are fewer people who can come up with the, the creation or the insight or the wisdom to produce that activity, right? Um, then you start to kind of value that more. I mean, tons of people around the world, you know, play golf, uh, play basketball, play tennis, but like, I want to know about the guys that created those sports. What were they thinking? What drove them to do that? You know, and some of it might've come from boredom and some of it might've come from happenstance, but at least some of it had to come from just creative thinking um, and intentionally um, thinking about what they wanted to, to do with that. Investing and investors seem to be obsessed with value creation. So it's, it's funny to me that it's also a group, an industry or a group of people who are obsessed with doing. And there's probably a lot of activity that we could look at and say, is that worth, is that really the value creation that we're after? Yeah, and, and in our industry, there's a kind of a common expression, you only need three or four great ideas a year to like really make your portfolio shine. And then if you ask like, well, what's your process of getting the three to four? There's not a lot of attention on that. The, there's an identification of that's a priority, but then the supporting mechanisms are either so countercultural or not habituated or well, how do we start doing that? That it's hard to, I was thinking, Mo, you take time with your Bible study group each week. Mm -hmm. And so something about that process, which is a collective process, but also probably an individual process, you must deem like, wow, that's, that's helping me, you know, get about my days and think about the context of my life at all. So that's an example of where you intentionally set up a space with others, but you intentionally set up a space that involves a lot of thinking and contemplating and not a lot of doing, I suppose. Yeah, let's finish out on this insight about that. Just more examples, if we could return to that. Of Mo, you mentioned journaling. The, there's the Bible study space. What other spaces have you found helpful or, or Pip, you? Well, I mean, I think, like I said, getting out of your environment, just, you know, whether it's um, walking, you know, so a lot of times thinking comes with a different activity, but not an activity where you kind of have to think through the steps. So um, like if you're walking or biking somewhere and you clearly know the route and you know the route home and that's never going to be a worry, you know, then you can let your mind um, kind of flow to other things, right? 
Um, so I would say that. I would also say I think it's, you know, some of our best thoughts come in some of the groups, um, you know, that we do with Coburn where you get people who have totally different backgrounds and you put them in this room and they start discussing things and there's some commonality, but there's a lot of, you know, completely different um, approaches and that really gets you thinking. And uh, I mean, I remember just the first time I ever sat with Lon and, you know, talked about some of the stuff going on over in India. I mean, it was like, I never even thought that I would even be thinking about this kind of stuff. Right. You know, and um, so I think definitely different people, um, different environments and different, you know, like I said, modalities are probably some of the best on-ramps. Um, Brent, I've, I've found a couple come to mind. One is that the one you introduced me to is just uh, having writing exercise time. Like even in the middle of the day, taking just 12 minutes out and saying, what did I really get about that? And having a concentrated space where I'm just going to think about that. Um, and that's bled into other activities that I do. So every morning I journal and meditate and study certain things. For me, my story really started in 1997 where I was blowing up every Sunday for Kelly and I because I had this intention of like doing all this work and then I'd push it all till Sunday on the weekends. And so I started getting up at 5.30 in the morning, uh, Saturday morning, right out of the gate and allowing two or three hours. And what I found very quickly, like within two weeks, was somewhere after 45 minutes, my brain operated far more effectively in terms of new ideas. So the success just encouraged me. But I'm still playing with ideas of how can I create space where I can concentrate to really sink into an idea? And I think part of, for me, Bryn, part of it is just my lack of satisfaction of staying in the malaise of random thoughts coming in and around at a surface level and trying to dig deeper into it. To kind of uh, riff on Pip's point, one of the things that I think is helpful is like sometimes we get excited, even when we are journaling or when we're with a group or, you know, whether that's my Bible study group or whether that's Roadmakers, and I'm writing down notes, and then what I like to do is put them away for like a week and then go back and look at them again and then maybe put them away for another week, right? Because everything seems exciting um, and kind of transformative when you're there in the moment. But what sticks with you a week out, a month out, what truly becomes change? Um, so for me, it's almost kind of, rereading journals that helps really create kind of lasting thoughts or um, the realization that those thoughts were neat at the time, but they're really not going to stick. Or th that's interesting because mine is the same modality and opposite experience where I, when I reread old journals, I find something I thought, that's brilliant. <laughs> so I'm like, why didn't I do that then? Or, you know, it kind of, that's where I look for the fodder for ideas mm -hmm. that I had that I second guessed sometimes for years. And now I can mm -hmm. come back to them as a different person, you know, a more grown up experienced person. And that gives me the, the, the strength to make those ideas valid. The, the current book that I'm reading, Bryn, I have a habit in my mornings of, of studying the books that I read. And I'll usually be reading three books at a time but I'll only do like three pages a day. And typically with those books are so good, I'll go through a single book three times in five years because I know there's more in there for me get to get. And obviously the Bible is a, a book that people keep studying 
you know, life changes and all those types of, I love those moments where I sink into the book and I go, oh my God, I've been reading this book for five years. This is my third turn through it. And now I really finally got the point. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's just fun and fascinating. I had to break my productivity mind of how many pages did I get through today? As if that was like somehow mm-hmm. going to be my goal of my 10,000 steps is how many pages. And to say, you know, if I actually do two pages today, but I got something, that's really cool because I don't need too much of that in order to like change my day or my life or such. Great. Thanks, Mo. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mo and that you have a few ideas of how to build and clean time. You know, in a previous episode, Lindley Henserling discussed his study of correspondence of former world leaders in order to get better at what's required for today's environment of correspondence in business. And I loved how Mo's study of documentaries has that same element of diagnosing and tracing how the thinking emerged. Thanks for listening.